there are certain places in God's Word that we default to. You're not expecting it, but you'll land there. One of those places that I find myself coming back to again and again, and that I find multiple preachers oftentimes referencing, is when Jesus Christ was teaching the followers that He had in the world, and when He warned them. He said, you are going to have some tribulation. And then He said, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I know that I have several times just fallen back on this Scripture. It is such a huge encouragement for us to know that we have a God who is sovereign, He's in control, and He is love. It's a fool's errand to try to convince someone that you're not going to face trials just because you have Jesus. And so we fall on that Scripture quite a bit, and we take great comfort for it from it. But... What if, during those trials, there was an opportunity for us to make the trials a little bit easier? What if, during the tribulation that we know is going to come, we had opportunity to do something ourselves that would allow ourselves to not go through so much pain? What we're going to see in God's Word today is that the Apostle Paul speaks to the the believers in Rome. And he tells them, you're going to go through tough times. More than that, you're going to have some people, some that would be believers, some that are unbelievers, who are not going to like you. Wait, some of them are going to hate you, is what Paul's going to tell us about. And Paul gives us some very practical instruction for what to do when someone is expressing hate towards you. We don't like to use the word enemy. We don't like to say, I have an enemy. But as we look at it, we'll probably find that most of us have someone who is opposing us in some way. And so you cannot always do away with the pain and the tribulation. But there is something that very practically we can do to maybe put a stop to it. More than that, maybe even to take that one who's causing the pain and not just get them to stop, but perhaps have them have a complete mind shift in what they're doing. All that to bring us to Romans chapter 12. Would you turn to Romans chapter 12, please, in your Bibles? As you're turning there, let me mention a a book that has some great helps with this. It's a book by Ken Sadie, and it's called The Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resolving Personal Conflict. Now, I'll just tell you three things that Sadie says in his book. He talks about peace, and he takes that word peacemaker, and he plays off of that. And Sadie says, in this world, you're going to come across some people who are actually not peacemakers, but they're peace fakers. Many people would like to have peace. They can't get genuine peace, and so they become peace fakers. But this can have horrible results. If someone is faking peace, it can lead to flight. It can lead to denial. Some people, if they don't find genuine peace and they just fake it the whole time, it can even lead to suicide. There's no doubt that peace is something that all of us need. Sadie also talks about peace breakers. These are individuals that don't want peace. And this is why we have so many lawsuits going on in our nation 
You can hardly drive down the road without seeing a billboard with a lawyer's face on it. They thrive on that idea that some people are peace breakers. That can lead to assault, to fighting. It can lead to relationships broken that are never mended here in this lifetime. And then, of course, what we want to shoot for is to be a peacemaker. He talks about being a peacemaker or how to act when people oppose you. And that's what Paul talks about here. And that's what we're going to see very, very practical for today. How to respond when others show hatred. Now, I will let you know this is a distinctly Christian teaching. The things that Paul is going to give us to do to try to disarm that hatred, this is distinctly Christian. The most popular verse from our text that we'll see today is, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Probably most of you are familiar with that verse. But what is the Lord's part? And what is my part? At what point do I trust God, who is sovereign, to to do what is right, to be just? And at what point do I act? Or more specifically, better, what can I do? What can you do when somebody shows hatred towards you? Is there anything? Do we just run away? Do we just ask people to pray for them? Do we put up our dukes and, and try to fight? Paul gets very, very practical here with telling us God's place and our place. How to overcome hate with love. Now, I want to start with the the very last verse in the text, which is the last verse of chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 21 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And if you remember from last time we were in Romans, this is kind of a bookend that started in verse number 9. Let your your eyes go to verse number 9 there. It looks very similar. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And so everything that we're going to talk about today is with the idea of, of good things winning. Righteousness, goodness being prominent. And hatred and evil being squelched. Is there practical stuff that we can do? Both with brothers and sisters in Christ and outside of our church family. Absolutely. The first thing that I see that Paul tells us to do is we need to find words to redirect the conflict. You and I have the incredible stewardship of our words. Words can start a fight. Words can say, I love you. And words is one of the best tools that you have when someone is expressing hatred towards you. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This means you're going to have to go against every instinct that comes to a human naturally. When someone expresses hate, whether it be in words or in action, our first response, most of us kind of have the first response of defending ourselves, maybe going on the attack, putting them in their place. We have to fight against that instinct. And it's fantastic because the Apostle Paul not only is 
writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so this is God's words to us. But the Apostle Paul learned this lesson personally. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to hate, to actively go after someone and have them respond not in kind with the same kind of venom, but have them respond with patience and love. Some of you might remember the story of the Apostle Paul before he was Paul. We can read in the book of Acts where he is Saul of Tarsus, and Saul of Tarsus was one who persecuted the church. He was uh, getting higher in the ranks of Judaism, and he was one who was very, very um, enthusiastic about what he did. And there came a point in that first church where someone finally died for their faith. It was one of their deacons. It was Stephen. As Stephen was there and he preached this incredible sermon, he got done and the people that heard that sermon basically heard Jesus Christ is the Messiah and you're the ones that crucified him. And when they heard that, those around him picked up rocks to kill Stephen and they did. And we are told that they laid their coats at Saul of Tarsus' feet. He watched it and he listened to it. My thinking is Saul had seen people stoned before. I think he knew the typical response when people picked up rocks and were going to kill someone. I think that oftentimes there was cursing that would come from the one who was being killed. And Stephen, knowing Jesus Christ and on his way to heaven, could have chosen to say, you guys are going to go to hell for this action. But instead, Saul, I believe, heard the words of Stephen. Maybe you remember them. Stephen is being killed. and Some of the last words that he speaks before he's ushered into the presence of God, before he dies, are, do not hold this sin against them. I wonder how you would do in that situation. More than that, I wonder if the Apostle Paul, if he laid awake at night, thinking about those words, how could he say that he wanted us to be forgiven in the act of stoning him? And I cannot help but think that after Saul was knocked off his high horse and met Jesus Christ himself, if he lived the rest of his life remembering those very words of Stephen. And that's why... He writes here, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. The word persecute that we find there is an intentional word. It's not someone who's reacting, you know, someone who got cut off in traffic and so you respond by getting mad. The word persecute there, it, it, it officially means chasing. Someone who is deliberately trying to cause you harm, repeatedly. Repeatedly. That's who the enemy here is. And how can we speak well of someone who is persecuting you? Well, a couple helpful tips in doing this. First of all, don't speak right away. Don't say the first thing that comes to your mind. You might spend a moment in prayer. You might think about it. Paul says... You need to not curse them. So do not speak immediately. You know, my mama was right when she said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. 
The Apostle Paul says that, but then Paul says, and on top of that, you need to think of something nice to say about them. Can we, can we get real for just a moment? Am, am I asking too much of you guys? Is in practice, when someone is hating on you, not just to be silent, but for you to think of something nice to say, that's the next thing. Think of something positive that you can say to them, some good that you see in them. The Apostle Paul is quoting from Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 6, where he says in verse 27 and 28, Jesus said, I say unto you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. What's the first thing you can do to diffuse the situation, to stop the hate? You can choose some words that they can hear. The next thing that I see here is you need to try to understand their mindset. Who is this one that's attacking me? I don't deserve this. They've made a mistake. They've been given some wrong information. You need to try to understand your enemy's mindset. Look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I mentioned that Paul is quoting Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was and is the Prince of Peace. And Jesus Christ practiced rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with weepers. We have a great place to go to see this in the Scriptures when we think of the miracles of Jesus Christ. The miracles of Christ are fun to study. Let me take you to His first miracle. Can you remember that first miracle? There were people that were rejoicing, and Jesus' mother comes and says, Jesus, we need you to help out just to keep the party going. What can Jesus do? Jesus was there at a wedding, rejoicing with others who are rejoicing. And then when we fast forward to his last miracle that's recorded, we come to Mary and to Martha, and they're weeping. And that's where we find that short verse in the New Testament where it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept with them at a funeral. He rejoiced and wept with others. You and I, when we're on the receiving end of attack, we need to understand the mindset of the one that's attacking us. And I said it earlier, am, am I asking too much of you? Because here's what this means. This means that you are genuinely glad when that one that's attacking you celebrates. When they have something good happen to them, perhaps an accomplishment that you wanted to accomplish, maybe a promotion that you would have liked to have gotten, maybe they got a financial blessing in some way. Can you understand the power of what would happen if when they are ones that oppose you, if you'll be happy for them when they get a blessing? And the other side of that coin is that when they grieve, you grieve. When they suffer loss, you don't come up with 
the response that most people do. Because most of us, and we can even tie Bible verses to it if we're pretty creative, right? Most of us, when we find somebody who's a hater and then something bad happens to them, what is our initial response? The natural response is, well, they got what was coming to them. Ha <laughs> ha! Man, I knew God was going to come through. Look at what's going on in their life. Finally, they're getting theirs. But let me challenge you with this. If there's a person that immediately jumps on that conclusion, you're glad when your enemy suffers. That person, if they know Jesus Christ, they have moved too far away from the understanding that they did not deserve forgiveness. You and I, we are not receiving what we deserve. But for God's grace, we've heard about the cross. We've heard about forgiveness. We've asked God to forgive us of our sins and to save us. And so if your first response between someone who is a hater, especially someone who needs Christ, is you rejoice when they have pain, you have forgotten of what you have been forgiven of. Remind yourself that you did not get what was coming to you. Then the next thing that you can do to take away the hate, to diffuse this, is to invest in your enemy at your own risk. Even though it costs you something, you invest in your enemy. Look at what verse 16 says. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. There is a, an underlying teaching in this verse here that gives us the idea we need to not be a respecter of persons. Too many people want to hang around with somebody because they'll get something out of that relationship. If I can hang around with that person, I can get in, in, in their group. Or maybe if I'm nice to this one, I'll get something back in return. And the spirit here is that we will show love and kindness with absolutely no expectation of anything in return, including the one that is showing hate towards you. You invest in them, and then you don't say, well, I scratched your back, you got to scratch mine now, or stop hitting me in the back at least. No expectation. But this can be a wonderful tool to take the power out of that hatred, investing in all kinds of people with no expectation of anything in return. A famous line that we know in America Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Where in the world did the speechwriters for Kennedy come up with that line? They stole it from the Apostle Paul. And it's a beautiful teaching. But you have to do it without the expectation you're going to get something in return. And then we're going to look at the verses 17 through 20 together. The last thing that I see... It's going to sound familiar to something I've said that I say regular, and that is do your very best and trust God for the rest. Do your very best and then trust God. 
Let's read 17 through 20. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You're all familiar with the expression, I don't get mad, I get even. And the person who will spend time thinking about how they can get revenge and get back. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. You are supposed to give thought, but you're supposed to give thought to what is honorable for them. What can you do that is honorable for them? Not only to honor them, it says to honor them in the sight of all. Oh boy, this is quite a request, isn't it? That one who is showing hatred to you, you need to give thought, not how you can pay him back, but what you can do to honor him. And then verse 20 gives some suggestions for how you can honor him. How you can pull the, 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 uh, the, the fuel right out of this fire of hatred. You can give him something that would meet his need, maybe some food or drink as it says here. Get to know Him and know what needs He has and meet that need. Not with an expectation that He's going to pay you back. But literally, you are showing the same love to that one that Jesus showed to you. Well, Jeremy, they don't deserve that. You don't deserve the love of God. And I don't deserve His forgiveness. And yet He gave it. And he is our example. Paul is a realist here. He's not saying if you do these steps and these verses that every, every persecution goes away. He doesn't say that. Did you catch what he said there in those verses? If possible, so far as it depends on you. What's the idea here? The idea here is, is that when there is not peace in a relationship that you have done everything possible on your side to bring peace. Speak well of them. Think well of some of those good things and mention that to them. Try to understand their mindset, what they're going through. Why would they be doing this? It's so beautiful when we can see Christians respond in a way that is completely unnatural. True peace requires something from both sides. And so if there is not peace there, you make sure that you did everything that you could to make that peace happen. And then there's that last statement that honestly I, I, I've grappled with and I don't have a great perfect response for you. They, he, uh, Paul quotes from Proverbs 21, you'll heap coals of fire on their head. Initially, this sounds like something negative, doesn't it? If you show them kindness and you're good to them, that's going to heap fiery coals on their head. 
It's possible. Some good men think that, that it means they're going to be suffering. There's also a possibility that it means something good. There's a tradition that came from Egypt many years ago. When someone's fire would go out and they needed someone to help get their fire started back up, that a person could take some coals or some embers from their fire, put it in a pan, put it in a pan, and then they would put that pan on the head wrapped in a turban, which is a completely positive way of receiving that. There's good men that believe both ways. It seems to me that in the context of this passage, I don't think Paul's saying, ha ha, they're going to get theirs. It could be somewhere in the middle. It could be that when you show kindness and love to someone who doesn't deserve it, that could prick their heart. It could be what draws them to a God who is love and loves them and wants them to be in the same family that you are in if you're one of His sons and daughters. Now, I want to close by asking you to, I don't want to bring up any bad memories for you. I really don't have any intention of of having anybody have hurt or pain. But I want to ask you to go back in your memory to a time when someone was showing hate to you. Not reacted to something that you did, but someone repeatedly doing something that was causing you harm. And I want you to think of the words, not the words that they said. I want you to think of the words that you said. I want you to think of that person. Maybe you'll understand some of the things in his history and background that would lead him to do that. Or maybe you're at a complete loss for that. And then I want you to think of all the people that were watching. Did you see in here how you're supposed to honor him in in the sight of others? If you will do this, what an impact it will make. And I know when I've been on the receiving end of hate and I responded in the flesh and not according to Paul's instruction here, there were other people that got in on that conflict that should never have been there. And maybe I couldn't have stopped it, but I could do everything within my power to stop the hate. And at that point, we trust God. We're going to jump into chapter 13 in our next study. Chapter 13 talks about how God has given us a government. God has given us authorities to take care of some of those things that we really can't take care of on our own. But when you think think of the hatred shown to you in your life, let me encourage you moving forward to respond in a very specific way. Don't respond by wanting to get even. Don't respond by being passive. Instead, respond to hatred with love. This is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. The hatred of sin and every human being being plunged into a place where we were enemies of God and the response of God was love. He loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son so we can believe in Him and have everlasting life. And how good that we can look forward to that day with no more night, no more pains, no more trials. But in this present day, we can do something 
to diffuse the hate and maybe, just maybe, do something to take that one and show him God's love so that he could accept the gift of salvation. Let's pray. Gracious Father, when we look to you, we understand that you loved us so, so much, and we deserved it zero, none. We've seen that in the book of Romans. Not one of us stands any taller, any better than anybody else, more deserving than another. And so would you allow us, when we face tribulation and face, and face hate and evildoers in this world that would actively seek to hurt us, would you allow us to not only have patience, but would you allow us to take that opportunity to be Christ-like, to show love when it wasn't warranted and even when it's not reciprocated. We thank you for this good instruction from Paul. We thank you that we can discuss it with him in heaven someday. Until then, help us to be effective, to be intentional about what we are in this world. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask the piano to play through, and I want to ask you to pray. It might be today that you would pray for something we've talked about, that you would respond better, that you would forgive better. Maybe you want to go back in your mind and, and just forgive right now someone who's wronged you. Maybe you're here today, and, and when I talk about being in a group of people that are forgiven, you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Christ died on the cross. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Even during this moment, when you have a chance to pray, you can pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins and make you His child. And He promises that He will. While the piano plays through, would you take just a moment, talk to God, pray about whatever He lays on your heart. What a fitting song. Amen. Please look this way. What a fitting song. I surrender all.